Hello and welcome to another episode of The Philosophy Guys. So today's episode is another interview-based episode, and I am joined by Aaron of the Embrace the Void podcast and Philosophers in Space. I'll have those links below. But Aaron is a philosopher himself, and he hosts the podcast of Embrace the Void, which is all about the dark times we live in. And he also does the podcast Philosophers in Space, where they discuss kind of kind of what I do when I do my um, more like analyze a film and take away the philosophical concepts and apply it to life. They do that with science fiction films and books and do the same thing, pulling the philosophical concepts and interesting thought experiments from that. So check those out. But in today's episode, what we cover is a topic that I've, is, is pretty relevant to the whole idea about you know finding philosophical issues that are relevant to your life. And a big one is is this question of social justice and this criticism that people like to make of social justice and wondering if it is a religion. So that <laughs> ties us into all sorts of various topics in this episode where we talk about social justice, religion, what is religion, what is social justice, what is a social justice movement, maybe the toxic sides of of both arguments around this question and discussion of social justice um, and, and, and how this applies to maybe meaning and purpose. So yeah, we cover a, a wide range of things and topics topics around this particular topic, if that makes sense. But um, yeah, but as always, I really appreciate everyone's support and listening to the show. If you'd like to support the show more, you can check out the Patreon page and get the bonus episodes so you can hear my voice more if you'd like. I don't know why you would, but if you'd like. And you can also, another way to help if you can't do that is support the podcast on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I guess it's called now, where you can leave a rating and review. Let me know your thoughts. Send me an email showing your love. Check out the Discord so you can keep the chat going about these these episodes and my other content that I make all over the place. But as always, like I said, appreciate your support. But that's enough of me talking about this intro stuff, and let's enter the labyrinth. So, so yeah, so I guess for you, is social justice a religion? Uh, so in my opinion, I would say social justice is not a religion. Um, and it's uh, and, I, and then I would like put like five or six asterisks next to that card, right? Because <laughs> there's a lot of things to unpack here. What do we mean by social justice? What do we mean by religion? Um there are a bunch of different things that people refer to when they refer to social justice, ranging from a cluster of, I, I would, I would argue ethical or moral theories about how people ought to act towards each other with regard to issues of fairness. And then 
there is sort of social justice as a kind of movement or cluster of movements that go along with those um, moral arguments where people have tried to bring about actual changes to society to improve the situation and reduce um, social inequality. So, you know, broadly speaking, you can divide it into theory and practice in that way, though I think a lot of folks within the social justice world will argue that theory and practice are generally interconnected and very difficult to separate and and shouldn't really be actively separated that much because um, we should be sort of consistently wondering and understanding how our theories and arguments uh, impact the actual lives of real people. Yeah, and and I basically agree with you as well, because I think a lot of times people want to too quickly ascribe things as being a religion as well. And I feel like that's what's happening in this case, especially when when someone kind of I feel like this is what happens in the modern age, at least, is where someone thinks that someone is is dogmatically following a position. They immediately want to say, "Oh, mm-hmm. you're just you're just following a religion," and I feel like that's what's happening a lot within that the social justice mm-hmm. movement as well. And I'm wondering if you kind of agree with that too. Right, that gets at the like, what do we mean on the other side of this equation when we when we use the word religion? And this is where things I think are also very tricky because. Uh, religion is a notoriously hard to define concept. Um, I, mm-hmm. my, my first wife actually was a seminary student and we would get into big arguments because she was really strongly resistant to the idea that you could even give sort of a coherent definition to the word religion that applied to all the things that we had. She was very resistant to that kind of there being this uh, essential category of religion that we can lump all of the things into that fit that category. Um, But sort of that caveat being set aside, I think there are several things that people typically mean when they are referring to something as a religion. And we can get into how fine grain we want on, you know, what are the properties of a religion or what are the categories. But I think you've nailed one of the major categories, which is people tend to associate religious belief with a dogmatic approach to certain fundamental beliefs or principles or, or something that is holding the religion together practices. Mm-hmm. It can be different kinds of things, but the important thing is that there's a central core ethos or whatever that can't be questioned. Um, and that is sort of, that it's a kind of purity faith-based um, center to the idea. Now, I'm, I don't think that all religions necessarily fit that category or that we, that, that could be an essential feature of religions, but it is, I think, often what people mean when they want to say social justice is a religion. What they really mean is I want to ascribe to it a dogmatic kind of approach to its own core beliefs. Yeah, which uh, from that, it, it kind of gets into when, if that's like their motivation, it gets into how they're kind of strawmanning the other person's <laughs> position because it's a way, it's like a, a, almost like a tactic to just, say, oh, like, I don't need to follow your belief system because you fall into this mm-hmm. this category where this category necessarily makes you have a bad position. And I feel like a lot of times that's what happens mm-hmm. um, as well. So, yeah, maybe we want to – we don't need to get in too much yeah. into the weeds because my audience, I feel like they, you know, they're kind of – they do like the, the topic of religion. But, like, let's kind of uh-huh. give a definition there and we can kind of dive into relating it to social justice. But what would you kind of – create a criteria for what a religion is. Well, yeah. So, you know, I think 
we can think of there being like a, a pejorative definition of a religion, which is the one that you were, I think, just getting at, and then like a more neutral definition of religion. And I think what you find in the folks who are really invested in making the social justice as a religion argument is that they do a kind of Mott and Bailey between the neutral account and the um, pejorative account. Mm. And so what they really are really trying to argue is that like social justice is a religion in the pejorative, or what, what I think a lot of people would, would, would associate with the cult, right? That it's effectively a cult at level um, approach to its structure. Um, the more neutral definition of religion, I think that the ones that I find at least have some utility, right? If they're not perfect, essential platonic accounts or something like that are going to be things that talk about, um, you know, a connection to a shared community, one that often involves some sort of ritual behaviors in which the individuals um, consciously invest in those rituals, certain meaning or of for other people doing those activities. And so, you know, when I talk about what counts as a religion, I, I like to point out that in some sense, almost everything can be a religion because it's religion is really in a how you practice it kind of issue rather than, you know, do you believe? So, so one, one thing people will associate with religion is just, do you believe in God? And like a lot of religions do, and we can debate whether that's a good account. And clearly that's not the one that's at issue here. Um, but this other idea I think is... Um, a practice of doing a thing as a connection to what you consider the sacred or the spiritual or something like that. Um, and, and you'll see this in the critiques of social justice where they will try to peg social justice people doing various kinds of activities in ritualistic ways and say, see, this is proof that this is a religion because the people are engaged in ritual practice. Um, that said, right, again, I don't think ritual practice is essential for religion. You could have an individual personal religion, I think, that you keep internal to yourself and never express expressly practice externally in any kind of way. This, so, like, ultimately for me, religion is almost, I think, 100% a self-identifying principle, right? If you say that what you are engaged in is religious for you, I don't know how we can really say it's not. Like, I don't think we can reject someone's claim to X being religious for them. And that has a lot of really weird implications. But like, I just don't, you know, like CrossFit, right? I mean, <laughs> CrossFit people seem like a religion. Sure. Um, and I, you know, what we will, practically speaking, what we want to ask is, does the comparison between X activity or X group or X ideology and religion meaningfully illuminate either of those concepts? And I think in the case of social justice and religion, the answer is more no than yes. There are some ways in which I think it can be helpful, but I think overall it clouds the issue more than clarifies it. Yeah. And I tend to basically fully agree with what you said, because one one of my issues is is the uh, the ritual aspect, which is a tough one because it also just gets into the, the subjective nature of what is religion. And yeah, I th I also agree with you where it's like if someone says that what they're doing is their religion, then how can you really deny that? It's a very indiv mm -hmm. individual creating their own version of that for themselves. I think that's kind of like an aspect of being mm -hmm. <laughs> in a religion. Um, and, and the other one for me is, is so it's like the ritual aspect, but also the, the meaning aspect in the sense of where to, to me, more essential, I don't want to say, I don't want to ever say necessary about a religion, mm -hmm. but the, 
spiritual transcendent meaning aspect I think is important mm-hmm. for religion. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think you have that within the social justice movement where it's like, it's, mm. it's more of these, these meaning claims that most community, like a lot of communities have where they try to create a belief system around their community. And that's kind of, to me, what the social justice movement is. And, and to me, that's where the kind of a lot of the, maybe this is where people ascribe that whole issue of, of dogma to it because the dogma to me comes about from religion when you get into that discussion of these transcendent meanings. Cause I feel like it's harder for people mm-hmm. when they have this sense of a transcendent meaning to dismiss that as quickly. So they start dogmatically following that position where uh-huh. I feel like that's not as near. Okay. So like maybe it's happening to some extent within the social justice movement, but I just don't think it's, it's enough where you can kind of ascribe it to that. But um, yeah, I also just think there's, there's this, this aspect where people are just commenting on the on the human nature to create communities, and I feel like we too too quickly want to ascribe religion to that, where it's really just people trying to get along with people that share similar beliefs to them. So it's kind of my thoughts on that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you're you're making a lot of good points there. Um, so so one thing just that at the very beginning there that I wanted to highlight as a flip side of the religion being kind of a self identifying thing is that like i think we should be really careful and critical and skeptical of attempts to foist the category of religion onto things that do not self-identify as religions right that like um you know especially because i do think there is a argumentative technique that you see especially amongst new atheism that this really is an attempt to describe it in this way so as to then dismiss it as silly and and not worth engaging with in the way that you're describing so that's why i do think we should be very skeptical now the flip you know the flip side of that is there are groups that that are cults that won't like it if you identify them as religious cults but i think it's important to do so and to recognize that they probably they probably should fit in that category so it it is complicated um now the idea of transcendent meaning, I agree with you that I think transcendent meaning is another thing that is a big feature of uh, religious belief. And I think uh, it is certainly one of the two situations in which individuals tend to hold their beliefs in a faith-based, in the sense of um, you know not believing they need to be sort of uh, confirmed via evidence or perfectly sound argument. Um, and also in the sense of being resistant to seeing them sort of disproved via those kinds of methods. Uh, The other one would just be uh, the specific empirical claims that people will make. So religious people might hold to certain, you know, claims about the nature of the world that are not actually supported by scientific evidence. And often when the anti-social justice warrior folks are trying to accuse social justice of being a religion. One of the things they're trying to argue is not just that they dogmatically hold to their beliefs that racism is bad, but that they dogmatically hold to their beliefs that like systemic racism is empirically pervasive and like needs to be addressed through substantial changes. Yeah. I also (laughs) agree with them. Um, And I guess maybe this is like a, way we can, I don't know, I'm trying to think of how I want to take this. So it's like, 
So like, so, so one question I, I have going through my head is cause I, I want to find a way to relate this to the whole social justice movement. Um, mm-hmm. because I tend to think that the social justice movement is just, they're making commentary on what on and the, and the people involved in those communities. They're definitely have a sense of meaning within that. And I think you, you, I know, I know you agree with me as well. That's not really a transcendent meaning. So I guess the question, I think it can be actually, I do oh, really? think that okay. you can, there I actually, I, I mean, well, so yeah. So let me say, while I believe the claim social justice is a religion is a bad way to put it. Mm-hmm. I do think we should, I think it's very reasonable to ask, what, are there situations where social justice is being practiced in a religious way? And if, if it is, are those bad things? Um, and I think like there are definitely situations where social justice is being practiced in a religious, sometimes in a very explicitly religious fashion. And sometimes that makes me cringe. And other times it doesn't bother me as much mm-hmm. um, because j- just in the <laughs> same way that like, I think ethics is being practiced in the world in many places in secular and religious ways. And when it's done in religious ways, sometimes it really makes me cringe and sometimes it doesn't. So like, you know, one thing that I see happen often in this argument is when people point to specific examples of social justice being all religious-y, what they're often, I think, pointing to are examples where religious movements like liberation theology, which is a sect of Christianity that emerged in Latin America and in black communities. It's called um, sometimes called black theology in American um, black communities that very heavily plays up the social justice aspect of Christ's message of which there is a lot to play up, right? (laughs) I would argue far more than the prosperity gospel folks can get a hold of in the actual text. Um, And so those folks are heavily involved in social justice, right? They're, they're, they're a clear and present through line in a lot of these civil rights movements. And so it's, it's, you know, it'd be silly to say there's no religious element to the community of social justice. There's very explicitly religious church people bringing their church religion stuff into this community form of people doing Christian-like activities like the washing of people's feet and such like that, that has iconography that is, you know, meaningful for them. Um, but then when, when that's viewed critically from the outside, it's viewed as uh, social justice folks acting really weird and culty. And like, I agree, it looks, it, to me, like the washing of people's feet thing does feel cringe because I'm, a, I'm an atheist and like, that's, but it, like, it also just looks like, protest performance art of which there is a lot and of which a lot of it looks cringe but like is not the end of the world right it's not like a huge issue that like people are are dressing up in silly costumes and miming silly behavior you know but it gets drummed up as part of this sort of broader narrative of social justice as religious cult yeah and i want to touch on and hear your thoughts too on that narrative aspect because Mm-hmm. And maybe and maybe this gets into the distinction on meaning a little bit where I feel like there's these and this happens with any group. I'm not just saying it's social the social justice movement, mm-hmm. but within each group, especially within to like kind of provide context within the internet and social media fit like phase of our lives, I see that these groups that form around these these ethical claims, mm-hmm. you have this I don't. I don't know if I want to say fringe, 
but more more extreme positions, I guess, or or louder people. Even I don't even know if I want to use the word extreme, but just people that are more expressive within those communities, they kind of take mm-hmm. hold of the narrative. And I feel like that that taking hold of the narrative, mm-hmm. where it's not always the the best actors involved, creates this <laughs> this image of that group that doesn't actually necessarily represent the group. And and this happens on both sides. I think, I think the right gets mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. from the, from the left as well. Um, so, so like to kind of give it an even playing field to some extent, but I think that's also kind of what happens within this movement where, where people that like to critique it, like for example, um, I know the one that you sent me was James Lindsay and I follow some of his work too. So if people want to check him out on Twitter or whatever, I think that's what he Ugh, don't uh, don't. I mean, in the interest of avoiding what you just literally described, don't actually do that. But yes, <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. So, far. <laughs> so yeah, so I guess to like leave it in the context of this show, then for like someone like James Lindsay, I think that's what he does is where it's <laughs> like he's trying to point to all these like little fringe members of that group and say, mm. oh, look at look how crazy the country's getting. Look how crazy the social justice movement is. But I'm like, yeah, yeah. There's absolutely extreme people. There's extreme people within every group, and they're a problem within every group. That doesn't mean the mass movement is the issue. And and I will add like one mm-hmm, more clarifier, mm-hmm. and and to kind of then I'll like hand it over to you to get your thoughts. I do see an issue in some cases where maybe like professors on campuses are getting fired too quickly for something that happened. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, I think that's w- what also is happening. It kind of goes back to my point about the internet and social media where, where maybe as like a society as a whole, we haven't really understood how, if we get we, those loud members are not representing the whole in the sense where we start feeling like, oh, this is what mm-hmm. this group represents when really it's just a few people. So I think sometimes mm-hmm. within campuses, and maybe this is where I give a, maybe a little bit of credit to James is mm-hmm. professors are getting fired too quickly because of that, that aspect of the people within maybe like an administration are a little bit overreacting because of that aspect of they think this is what the group wants and they think there's more people wanting this than is actually the case. So I kind of think that's happening all over the place and it creates this like weird discussion of people not actually discussing the, the content of, of what a group actually represents. Mm-hmm. So, so let's put just a pin in the people getting fired too much thing for a second. And I think, cause I think that is a really important applied issue and I don't want to give the impression that I'm downplaying the significance mm-hmm. of the actual consequences of these ideologies existing in the world. But I think you were making a really important point a second ago about narratives. And I, I want to sit on narratives for a second because yep. um, I think, you know, James Lindsay is to me like th- the peak of poisoning the well by instituting these kinds of harmful totalizing narratives. And, and I, I would think that, that that harmful totalizing narratives are a problem full yeah. stop. And I think when social justice gets, goes amok, goes, goes awry, right. It does so by also slipping into harmful totalizing narratives. And, you know, I'll go the, like the social justice, anti-social justice folks one further and like, I'll be generous here and say, you know, the the strongest version of their critique, I think, would be to say social justice as an ethical system that is attempting to bring about really substantial change is at higher risk of succumbing to 
totalizing narratives and commitment to the ideology, right? Like, so the different things are different level risk for becoming cults. CrossFit is at like a seven, right? And like, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, What's something that is not that is really unlikely to like filling saucers full of mud, right? Like I'll just use a classic philosopher example, right? Like <laughs> people are unlikely to create a cult around that. It's not impossible. I could get there if I had enough time, right? But like right. it's not an easy thing to craft a cult around. Whereas, yeah. <laughs> you know, overturning everything and creating a utopia, that's pretty standard cultish kind of material. So mm-hmm. social justice is at higher risk for totalizing narratives. And anti-social justice is also at high risk for totalizing narratives because I would argue anti-social justice is also a moral community centered around an ideology and therefore fits all of the same criteria as the social justice movement in terms of whether or not it's a religion, a cult, at higher risk of being a religion or a cult, etc. All of the arguments that James and folks put forward about woke social justice are equally applicable to the community that they have crafted around resisting woke social justice. And I, and then I don't mean that as like a, you know, I'm rubber, you're glue kind of thing. I mean that as like a legitimate, we all need to be much better about recognizing how easy it is to slip into these binary totalizing narratives and try to figure out the synthesis of these views that allows us to, you know, retain progress on social justice, continue to make future progress on it, while also respecting the concerns about people in how those things are applied in things like the teacher situations. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a really good point, because it kind of ties into what we were talking about with religion and and the dogmatic aspect, kind of, as Mm -hmm. well, where, where, you know, I do kind of agree that religion can very it's susceptible to becoming dogmatic because it kind of becomes susceptible to that cultish aspect but mm-hmm. that cultish aspect that that occurs occurs on a spectrum um mm-hmm. and yeah and I, and I agree where that's it's like the the conversation needs to be had about when social justice is entering that cultish aspect phase where there's people you know too quickly screaming at someone for not holding their beliefs. But yeah, mm-hmm. and, and then you're right on, on the flip side, the anti-social justice movement, they <laughs> they fall into this, the same criteria. And mm-hmm. to kind of add to that is it's like, I, I covered an episode on this and I feel like it applies here. So I want to like bring it up where I, I called it like getting caught in your own echo chamber. I did a, like a solo episode mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. and it's like they, th- these people have created a career around this. And this and this applies to the social justice movement as well. This is like I'm sure some major figures within that you can you can apply the same criteria, but I think the same issue applies where it's like you you get this audience, you start making a career out of it, you start making some money off of mm-hmm. it, all this stuff, and all of a sudden that's mm-hmm. that's all you're looking for. <laughs> all you're looking yep. for is the things that create and fit your narrative because you have people coming to you that mm-hmm. want to listen to your perspective on this this particular issue. When you create a narrative around yourself that is around this one topic, there's no way you want to ever dismiss like, oh, I was wrong here. I was wrong there. Because what, what incentive do you have yeah. to do that? Um, and the access bias problem is insane. Like, it's like so speaking as someone who's like far enough along in this activity that like people regularly come to me in private messages with information about you know anti-social justice people doing xyz or like connections between james Lindsay and michael o'fallon that i've talked about on my show stuff like that yeah so like 
I, I, I don't doubt that, like, on their side, what they're seeing are story after story of a person coming and saying, you know, I tried to ask a question about race and a bunch of people looked at me all awkward and such, and I hate this, and this is weird. And that reinforces this mindset that this is such a pervasive problem. And there's not a lot of, I think, effort being done to, like, distinguish so this is this is why i wanted to talk about the totalizing narratives because one of the real reason that totalizing narratives are toxic not just because it's easy to become you know like hooked on them um but because they sort of smooth over the differences between a lot of really complicated different kinds of cases so even within the category of teachers getting fired for doing xyz there's a huge spectrum of what's going on in those situations and we often don't have like complete information but from the perspective of the, you know, the free speech absolutist argument kind of folks, like they will jump on any one of these stories as see further proof that this is a huge problem. And then by the time that anybody has clarified, well, actually, you know, it was because of other reasons or there was something else going on here or whatever, like they've just moved on to the next data point and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, 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 it's fascinating to, to witness because I, and I'll even admit like a, I would say a couple years ago and, and maybe you even had interactions with me on this where I was definitely leaning more towards like the, the IDW types. And I still like sympathize mm-hmm. with some of that stuff, no doubt, but mm-hmm. I just can't get over this, this aspect of where, cause, cause I like, <laughs> I guess part of the reason I, I, I've noticed this is I realized it within myself where mm-hmm. you start kind of pursuing information that fits the narrative that you created for yourself. And this is kind of a more abstract point as a whole. Social justice is a nice one because it's easy to pinpoint of how people are doing that, especially within, I think, the IDW um, mm-hmm. and people like James Lindsay. But my overall point is is where you start seeing like the dogma within your own positions where you're kind of just seeking out confirmation bias information that fits what you want to believe, where you already have like this desire to believe. And mm-hmm. – yeah, so it kind of flipped my my mindset on that. And to kind of like make it to the point of this is what I also think is important within these discussions is we're, we're trying to too quickly create, and I know, I think you kind of like mentioned this point earlier, try to create this binary separation of, oh, it's mm-hmm. it's you're either this position or that position, and you need to fall into one of those two categories. When really it, it kind of goes back to kind of the, <laughs> this like religious culty aspect with a lot of things, mm-hmm. with a lot of belief systems, there's this like spectrum of belief. There's a lot of nuance within the middle of all that stuff, all that social justice stuff. Those two binary positions, there's all this nuance where people, I think, can fall within that spectrum. And mm-hmm. it kind of gets back to the other point about extremism where I feel like both sides, on like honestly, it is both sides, where within that binary position, they want to continue to create this like separation of the middle where it's like they mm-hmm. want to keep getting more and more extreme and create this more and more distinct binary distinction. And I just find it like a really interesting aspect to see. And I feel like religion helps commentate on that. Social justice is an interesting movement with like the discussion as a whole, not just like the social justice side and the anti-social justice side. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of a, what I, at least what I've witnessed and what I've seen is what I see within that is this like dangerous aspect that, that happens Overall, as a society, we have multiple communities that this is happening to, whether it's political, even though social justice is kind of political. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just kind of 
it scares me a little bit. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, I think so. A lot of folks approach this as a holy war, as like this global, this like massive social conflict that has to be fought. And I get mm-hmm. I get into that mindset sometimes as well. But Same. like, if I'm on yeah. a side, I the side that I want to be on is the side of of synthesis. Um, and, and complexity, where complexity doesn't always mean moderation. I think it's so easy to slip into thinking that like, well, the answer That's must be point. you know somewhere in the middle of all of these views. And it's not, I don't think it's, that it's somewhere in the middle. I think it's that it's all over the place on a lot of different spectrums. There's not just this one spectrum. And if you've, you know, if you're on the right side of it, you're right on all the different kinds of things, right? So I think there are lots, I mean, like, it seems obvious to me there are lots of cases which where the social justice perspective is correct in the sense that, like, there are pervasive social injustices that are persisting for a variety of, like, complicated reasons. And then I think there are also situations where people... Uh, you know, go too far in those kinds of assessments. Um, I think, you know, some. I think sometimes the left is is not very thoughtful about practice and application and what methods actually work for uh, persuasion. But at the same time, I think the right is overly optimistic about how much persuasion is actually possible for human beings. So, like, I just think that it's actually just very, very messy. Um, but at the same time, messy is also not relativist or subjectivist the way I think that, you know, people think that if you, if it's if it's so messy, then you can just believe sort of whatever you want. I still think there are fundamental truths and we need to like get access to them. They just probably don't fit easily into simple tweets or sound bites or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting discussion and and I feel like this is a good point to because it kind of fits into everything a little bit at least where mm-hmm. I want to get back to the point of like this the meaning aspect of of like the social justice movement as a whole but also just like humans move towards kind of this non-religious aspect of meaning into a more secular mm. aspect of meaning mm-hmm. and how Social justice relates to that, and I know what's often referred to as like the the God gap or the God shaped hole that's missing now, or whatever it is. Because um, I also kind of think this applies to some positions of people in, in the IDW that can that critique social justice, like the Jordan Peterson types, for example. And I feel like mm-hmm. they make a lot of commentary on that. So I kind of want to I want to hear your thoughts on. Do you do you see that yeah. as like an issue? Do you see that kind of happening? Kind of yeah. What are, what are your positions there? Yeah, and let me just. I, I just wanted to add one thing to what I was just saying. I, I want to express as much as like as much as anyone will believe me, genuine compassion for everybody trying to figure out the situation. This stuff is not easy, and and it's like too too often. I think people are sort of readily abused for not having figured out all of the right answers to all the complexities of, of social justice or something like that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm even, I'm even sympathetic to someone like James Lindsay, who as much poison as I think he's pouring into the well is pouring a lot of poison into himself as well and is less happy as a result of it. So like, I just, uh, I think what we need for the discourse is more compassion, broadly speaking. And at the same time, I, I'm, 
I, I don't judge people for having a lack of compassion right now because we're all so overloaded with all these crises and conflicts that it's very difficult to not experience like a kind of empathy burnout. So I'm, you know, I lament the current situation and also am, am you know, sympathetic towards everybody who's trapped in it in various ways. Um, so, okay. So the question of... Yeah, I actually, yeah, you, know, <laughs> you just gave me a thought too, actually. Um, okay. Well, let me just say briefly my, my, my sort of elevator pitch as someone who was born and raised atheist, never had a religious belief to shift away from towards a secular account of meaning or something like that. I don't feel like I have a void in myself that needs to be filled by, you know, commitment to social justice. I do think some people go that way. I do think there are people who either from a religious, coming from a religious background or just, you know, never having come from a religious background who do sort of fill a gap in themselves by commitment to a higher project in the form of achieving social justice. And that in principle doesn't seem bad to me. Like I don't see anything wrong with that as long as they're doing it in a healthy way. Of course it brings the risk that I mentioned earlier, but like I'm all for people who are very religious also working towards social justice. Like I will, I will collaborate with them as long as they're, you know, not like also doing something really horrible, like for example, um, pro- you know, promoting conspiracy theories about COVID uh, just uh, mm. off the top of my head. <laughs> um, so, you know, like I don't even want to say promote, you know, act doing social justice in a religious way is itself fundamentally wrong. There's still even within that degrees of how you're getting that meaning. And so I actually do think a lot of the time when people say, oh, people are turning to social justice because they need to find meaning, they mean it in a pejorative way because what they really mean is they feel in absence and in, and to defend themselves they construct an artificial sort of world of meaning and then they protect it with a bunch of fake science and fake whatever and that creates all this harmful behavior. That's really what's implicit in the idea that this is being used to fill a gap. Yeah, and I tend to agree as well. And, and like to back to the, the, the one quick point is I also agree with your idea around like the whole compassion within not only the social justice art, uh, discussion, but discourse as a whole. Mm-hmm. This is where I kind of tend mm-hmm. to, to agree with some of the the critiques that anti-social justice movement has, even though if I don't think they follow <laughs> their own critiques sometimes, if that makes sense. Cause like they like, they like to talk about how they're yeah. all about dialogue and all that. And I think sometimes within their own dialogue, they lack compassion for the other side's position. So yeah, I, I just R- remind, remind me, can I curse on this show? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I curse all the time. Yes, I mean, like it, it's hard to take seriously accusations that the left won't debate when you hear the phrase pronouns and bios over and over again. Like at some point, it's just understandable that people on the left are just like, fuck you, I don't want to have a conversation with you because you clearly just like aren't interested in, in a dialogue or a synthesis or any kind of respect. You're just mm-hmm. here to like dunk and and to me like the pronouns and bio thing alongside the two plus two equals four thing are two examples that i would put forward of um religious like behavior from the (laughs) anti-social justice group those phrases are passed off as a kind of shibboleth right a kind of uh sacred uh intonation i feel like that um is is really cultish feeling when you encounter it repeatedly in like just thread after thread on Twitter. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I see that comment <laughs> all the time, and it's an it's one I take issue with as well. Because like anytime I like see a thread of interactions about social justice and free speech or whatever it is, that seems to be at least within the the, the comment section, at least even a few times. Like if someone has that in their mm-hmm. bio, the pronouns, it immediately gets oh, like we don't need to listen to this person because they have pronouns in in their mm-hmm. bio, and. and the other issue I take with that too is is even people within the, the free speech advocates, some of those people are actually okay with that idea of the pronouns. Like they're not against it. And for some reason mm-hmm. within that community aspect, there's there's members within it that have made that like a calling card of like, oh, you need to have this position where you make fun of people that have that in their bio. Otherwise you're not you're not one of us. Yeah, I, I agree with that point yeah. about the religious aspect. And I just find it fascinating as well because within some of like the leading members i think like who would i put there is it i forget which one of the weinstein brothers one of them i know is like maybe chill with the whole pronouns idea and they don't critique that really at all and they're to me they're they're one of like the leading voices within it so it's like within your leading members they don't take this as an issue and it's not what the the discussion should necessarily be about to them but the community as a whole has decided to make this like a like a a point that just gets to dismiss. Well, it doesn't help that you know Peter Bogosian does it to people himself. Like I've seen Peter Bogosian go yeah, pronouns and bios seen, in response yeah. to someone in an argument, and it's just like that's that's so the opposite of helpful in every kind of way. He's the dude that wrote the book about. Having tough having conversations, arguments. right? Yeah, with James Lindsay. Yeah, and they're both oh, yeah. they're both pronouns and bios trolls. And it's it, like I'm sympathetic to the anti-social justice movement because I want them to have healthy uh, leading voices for their cause. And I think what they're stuck with are a bunch of new atheist trolls. And I think that's severely hampering the discourse. And now they've got like Trump on their side and and, like everything Trump touches dies. So if I were in the anti-social justice movement, I would be really concerned about my movement being co-opted by the worst possible actors at this point. Yeah. And I, I agree as well because I'm with you. Like from this episode, people are probably hearing me and they're thinking I'm like all about just the social justice movement. And it's no, I'm more critiquing because I actually agree with some of the stuff the anti-social justice have to say. It's just, I'm critiquing what has happened with what kind of what you Mm -hmm. said. Some, I would say bad actors that make the whole, almost make the whole movement toxic just because of how it gets represented and what it, I think leads some of the leaders to do and some of the leaders that have taken hold of it to create an audience and, and all this stuff that's just created this very toxic atmosphere that it's almost mm-hmm. like to me at this point, it's, it's almost obvious how much they mm-hmm. are doing the thing that they're critiquing of the other side. <laughs> and, it's, yep. and it's gotten to the point where it's annoyed me so much where, where I, when I talk about it, it does come across as like, I'm all in on the social justice side. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. the case. It's just I am so <laughs> tired of the. the I get terrible it. I'm binary. not even a critical theorist, dude. I don't. I'm not even. I'm not even a postmodernist. I'm a classic analytic ethicist. Like <laughs> the only reason that I'm, I've been having to defend this stuff for two years is because, like, I genuinely think if you just look at the material, it's not what they're saying it is, mm, and like yeah. it does have like. Of course, you can criticize critical theory. Critical theory contrary to what these people will tell you criticizes itself constantly there is so and and like this is another one of those like you know um double uh 
like they, they get you either way, right? If you point out that critical theory criticizes itself, they'll say, yeah, see, it eats itself. But if you say that like, also there's a lot of agreement, they'll say, ah, see, it's a dogma or something like that. Oh, so you can't, there's no, that there's totally no winning happens. either way on this one. But like, you know, here's what I'll say. It would be bizarre if critical theory didn't need to be criticized. It would be bizarre if a social movement like social justice didn't do things that were imperfect. As you say, everything has fringes. Everything has, you know, challenges as, as we're trying to address this imperfect world. Um, I just think that, you know, if you're making a reasonable list of like the top five big problems that the world faces, or even the top five big problems that academia faces, you know, critical social justice run amok is not high on the list. And like, you know, you asked about people getting fired too quickly. I do think that we should be concerned about the way that our capitalist system where everybody is, is like precariously positioned and it's easy to fire anyone makes it so that corporations can, you know, not take responsibility or not, um, defend people or something like that because it's just the incentives are, are in that direction, right? Like, I think there should be more robust protections for employees across the spectrum and not just mm-hmm. in academia um, for people to have differing perspectives. Um, and I think that's also, like, I also think we need to be more thoughtful about how we're doing things like diversity training and other kinds of systems to try to address these various problems. I, I you know, I'm all for you know, rigorous empirical where necessary critiquing of these kinds of methods. Um, I just think that's not actually what what a, a majority of the anti-social justice um, sort of leadership is pushing for, because what they really ultimately want to argue is none of this is necessary because social justice isn't really a problem anymore. And that this is a, mm. a myth that has been made up by a group. And that's why they want to call it a religion is because they want to say it has this whole mythology about the persistence of systemic racism and all of these other kinds of things, contrary, they think, to empirical evidence. And so, you know, that's, that's where... That's where I think we really want to push back. And and I think, you know, it's good to talk about the challenges these views face. And at the same time, we have to recognize that as soon as you start to be like, yes, there are problems within these views. Yes, Robin D'Angelo is not the best representative for what she is presenting and that like people should be looking at other resources that are um, less extreme in the way they present their material. Uh it gives the other side, I think, in the discourse, this freedom to just say, see, we were right all along and kind of do a victory lap. And there's, there's, it's, so it makes it very hard to incentivize people to come to the table functionally, I think. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, and yeah, the, the point that I, you made me think of, and we kind of somewhat covered this, but I kind of want to make this distinction is, what I've seen the conversation turn into is, for example, like in the social justice movement, I think some of the, the, I hate using this word, but like obvious areas they're correct mm-hmm. on is like the systematic racism issue, for example. That one is to me, the, the empirical evidence is there, the data is there, whatever you want, the arguments that are there, all of it's there. And, mm-hmm. and the, and maybe this is me just just wanting to give myself props for when I was leaning more towards the anti-social justice movement and more connecting with their message. But at least a few years ago, maybe it was like five years ago, whatever it was, I felt that they would admit to those points. 
more often. And the Mm -hmm. leaders now, it's almost like they've decided to allow the narrative to be taken over by these, like kind of what we've been saying this whole episode, Mm -hmm. but be taken over. And it's really destroyed the discourse because to me where they want to now point to, okay, so like they have these views on systematic racism. Maybe maybe the anti-social justice movement doesn't really touch those as much. But they want to say, like, oh, they have this view, but they also have, like, this view about pronouns. So this makes their whole, their entire worldview wrong because they're wrong about this one thing. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. what's happening a lot, too, that I take issue with. Because if, you, if we're all about discourse, if we're all about mm-hmm. making the conversation better and more nuanced and more understanding and p- compassionate, whatever it is, then there needs to be, like, something to be said about how, okay, you can admit when a side is right, kind of like what we're doing. It's like we're admitting mm-hmm. that the side is right about certain things. Both of them are. Mm-hmm. It's just the leaders within it kind of, they kind of just suck, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I, you see this, like, like I said, I think I want to be on the side of synthesis. And if these folks want to join us in synthesis, I think that's great. I think that they don't. Like when I Agreed. see folks yeah. like James talk about social justice and people ask him directly you know what are the good parts of these theories and i think he really struggles to describe anything beyond sort of very vague notions about uh you know the value of social justice you know very very broadly speaking because i think he he reads this stuff with such a hyper um critical eye and not in the critical in the in 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 a sense that i think it's valuable but in a there's a sense where you can read, you know, hate read something, right? Where you read mm-hmm. it looking for the worst possible interpretation of the thing that's being said there. And I think he does that. And I think it makes it very difficult. Now, in, in his in the book that they wrote recently, they do, I think, give props to some of the older um, postmodern, like the early roots of social justice stuff. And I think they tend to lean on the idea that the modern stuff has just gone too far or something like that. I think that's... Um, not a useful narrative. I think that there is a continuous through line from social, you know, from honestly, from social justice going as far back as like mill or even farther back um, that like, this is one big continuous expansion of the moral community and of our moral consciousness. And the civil rights era was a big piece of that. And the critical theory stuff was a part of that and continues, I think to be a part of, the ongoing um, the ongoing civil rights movements that are still relevant uh, in the world today. And, you know, if, if people can, can see the value in that, then I think it's great to, to combine that with concerns about, um, you know, where is this being less effective in the present world? Where is, you know, diversity training just leading to resentment rather than actual discourse or something? Those are, I think, really useful practical conversations to have, but they don't sell books. They're not super flashy. And I, I do think there is a kind of culture war profiteering that incentivizes people away from like synthesis like that. Yeah, I, I agree. Cause I was, I was just going to ask you, I feel like you kind of just answered it of why you think um, James Lindsay kind of operates that way. But I think he kind of just hits nail on the head there where it's, <laughs> you kind of need to be flashy, and it and, and this is commentary on not just social justice. This is commentary on discourse as a whole, where 
you know, even even like in science, mm-hmm. like the the, the physics. Yeah, books and there and, are other models. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But like even within like the the popular science books, sometimes they get critiqued. Mm-hmm. Or popular mm-hmm. philosophy books, whatever it is, the ones that kind of go mainstream, they get somewhat critiqued because it's it's not it's not always a position that's widely held, and it's like the flashy thing to say. So then all of a sudden that it's like the incentive is created to have those positions and all of a sudden it starts forming the public opinion that, oh, this is, this is what's accepted. This is what is true because it's what was able to be marketed and made money off of where it doesn't necessarily always help discourse. Mm-hmm. And I really wish I could think of a point off the top of my head to help my point because right now it just sounds like I'm creating this, this assumption. Um, I wish I could think well, of one, I just think but. There is an asymmetry here. That you know, burning stuff down and and throwing bombs attracts more attention than the opposite thing. Um, mm. And you know, I think for those of us who are trying to promote uh, functional constructive discourse, that's just an uphill reality that we face. Um, and I'm I'm fine with that at the end of the day. Like I'm happy with the amount of traction that I've been able to get while pre- mm-hmm. you know preaching. I'll. I'll you know, whatever, I'll call it a cult if you want my cult of (laughs) synthesis and, and understanding and compassion. And like, ironically, um, you know, back when I started Embrace the Void, I went, I, I like leaned into the idea of it being a cult. And anybody who's been following my material will know yeah, that there's that. a sort of running yeah. joke about <laughs> it being a cult. And part of the reason was like, I know that it eventually people are going to accuse me of being a cult anyway. So uh, might as well get ahead of it and be ironic about it. Right. And mm-hmm. then it turns out that like, you know, two years later, people like me are being accused of being in a, in a cult. So like, <laughs> That was that was a correct bet, I feel like. Um, yeah. But like, you know, it's also just, there's a lot to that. Like, I think, um, you know, going back to the issue of filling a hole, there is some arguments to be made that people that do need community and that like in the absence of community, of a good community, they will fall in with a bad community. Mm-hmm. And so like, to me, providing our, our, our ironic void cult is a way to provide a kind of community that doesn't take itself too seriously, but that still provides that feeling of shared connection. And I wish that people would spend more energy on developing those kinds of shared connections that don't involve a shared hatred for, you know, the social justice warriors of the world or something like that. But it's much easier to rally an army around, you know, I prefer, I I really think of it as like the they might be giants approach to uh, social change. Are you, you a they might be giants fan? Uh, Yeah. So like they might be giants to me is the classic example of they never got famous, famous, right? Like they're not a top name that people immediately jump to as big famous artists, but Mm -hmm. they had a long and continue to have a long, steady, really productive, really valuable career. And like they just made good, steady, you know, their level of successful art for their whole lives. And I think that's like, that should be the model that people are aiming for rather than the, um, you know, try to get really, really internet famous, even if doing so involves just utterly misrepresenting a bunch of important information that leads to a cultish atmosphere that harms a bunch of people. Yeah, I I, I like a lot of those points too. <laughs> I feel like I've been saying that this whole episode. It's been like an agreeing fest. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll say something wrong so you can disagree with me if you want. 
which is okay. I like having guests on that I agree with a lot and guests on that um, I disagree with because it makes it a fun variety. I feel like it brings out different discussions. But I really like your point because I feel like, you, you know, because we, we started, I don't know, you were on my show like before I even like completely changed it up. Way yes. back, wait, 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 wait. Like those episodes aren't even on my feet anymore because I took like a year break to like figure out what you know what my mm-hmm. thought process was and all that stuff. But anyway, it, I kind of feel like I had much of the same motivation. That's why I kept up with your work. Is like I didn't sense that whole uh, approach that you kind of see where it's like you want to take like this this flashy positions, whether it's politically, socially, philosophically, whatever it is to attract an audience. And I had the similar motivation where it's like, I went in thinking, you know what? Like I like researching this stuff, checking this stuff out. If someone wants to listen to me, fine. If not, whatever. And I also kind of did the whole ironic, like culty aspect. Mm -hmm. Like my whole catchphrase I kind of created is like entering the labyrinth, which is supposed to be like, basically like you're entering the thought (laughs) process of my brain. So it's kind of like <laughs> that sounds like a that sounds like an Eric Weinsteinism. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like you're entering my brain. So it's kind of like I'm I'm gonna get you to <laughs> understand my mind. So you join my mind. Where it's kind of like that culty aspect there. It's what I was going for. I don't know if people are actually catching on to what what I mean by that, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, similar aspect where it's more of like I'm gonna admit when I'm wrong all the time. Like I I've it's been probably mm-hmm. over the past year. It's been me saying, oh, yeah, I was wrong about this, and this is why I think I was wrong about this, and, and like, saying, here's why, and, like, think what you want, but this is what I've come to now. Um, and, yeah, that's not exactly the, the flashiest thing to do because, you know, I, I think we're kind of still in that modern age of, and not, not even necessarily modern, this is probably historically, too, where I think humans have mm-hmm. a tough time admitting when they were wrong on something. And as a society as a whole, we seem to think, that even when we are wrong, we kind of want to hide that aspect that we're wrong. We kind of just like mm-hmm. rephrase our position to meet our new position, but also say, oh, I'm still not wrong about my old position type of thing. I see a lot of maneuvering there or whether it's like this gradual change or whatever it is. Um, yeah, and, and I kind of find that interesting yeah. and concerning to some extent too. I guess the Zen cone way of putting this for me is, you know, first you can't admit you're wrong. Then you can't admit you're right. Then you can admit that you're right and wrong. Um, Because like, you know, I I think it's important to go the first step and recognize that you are, you can be wrong about a lot of things and like figure out how to work out of the, the various psychological defense mechanisms that will prevent you from addressing those things and acknowledging mm-hmm. that you're wrong and the feeling of embarrassment and all that sort of stuff. But then I think a lot of people get stuck in a place where they feel comfortable saying they're wrong and it feels good and they can build then like some of the, like the skeptics folks, I think who don't do skepticism as well as I, I would, I would say they should um, get into a kind of fetish skepticism where it's like, they get a bunch of points and credit for being able to say, I don't know about things that everyone else feels very confident about. Oh, that's about. true. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a third level that you have to get to where you, uh, you can again feel comfortable saying, no, I'm actually right here and you're actually wrong. And you stop becoming a kind of epistemic pushover, right? <laughs> like I, I experienced this in ethics, for example, right? I think 
it's easy and you know the initial level we all think that our ethics is absolutely right and mm-hmm. then we get to a level where we have to recognize that it's full of flaws and take into account a bunch of other ethical views as well but i think we should sort of eventually eventually get to back to a point where we say well oh you know what slavery is just objectively wrong and like it's right. not that other people who think that it's right are just differing in opinions they're just wrong and like I'll, I'll i'll seriously defend to the death that it is objectively wrong in this kind of way um but i'll also be skeptical and hesitant about my ethical claims about more sophisticated complicated issues like um you know the implementation of artificial intelligence as a way to to improve society yeah and i i definitely agree and and think that that there there's like this sweet spot of it's almost like you have to be willing to to argue your positions and not only, and also you know research your positions and argue them well, but with the acknowledgement that they they could be wrong. And I think that's like the sweet spot where it's not like you're a pushover. It's where you have to like figure out to be, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have you're going to present an argument. Like if I have someone on that I disagree with, I'm not going to just be like, oh yeah, I could be wrong on that, and just like mm-hmm. be a pushover and let them say whatever the hell they want. It's it's about yeah, you're you're right. Where it's about okay, like I'm going to defend the information I have and the positions I have now based on the inf- in the information I have. But it's also like acknowledging like those psychological biases and and ways that our mind plays tricks on us in a sense of of protecting our beliefs and all that. Like it, just kind of being aware of those, I think, is really helpful for people mm-hmm. and and to like make it as an as an overall point for society as well. I think it is important for us to still allow people to admit they're wrong. And I do think, I think you, you kind of mentioned this where, where this does happen. And, and a, <laughs> I had a friend like mentioned this to me where I like talk about how like, yeah, I admit I'm, I'm, I'm wrong and all that. And and, and they're like, there's like this psychological trait where people are actually attracted to people nowadays <laughs> that will admit, uh, will admit that they're wrong because it gives them some sort <laughs> of, some sort of authority. I was like, I never thought of it that way, but it's probably kind of true because <laughs> I know that I my mind that, would go though. that way. Where of like, oh, this person seems like they know what they're talking about, but they're also admitting when they're wrong. Oh, like I'm going to listen to them. So it kind of happens all over again in this weird oh, I lost you for a sec there. flip way. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, so. Um, yeah, I, I think the term for that should be uh, Socrate- Socratosexual, I guess would be the right way to put that, right? <laughs> yeah, Somebody exactly who likes mean, people yeah. who can be Socrates. Uh, it's it's like a subversion of sapiosexual, right? Yeah. Not just smart, but smart enough to realize you're the dumbest person in Athens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I guess the, the debate nowadays is if so- Socrates was actually just saying that to to play that psychological trick on people because... He oh yeah, he pretty was a assertive troll. about his position. Such a troll. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a troll way to be like, oh, tell me what you think. I'll admit that I'm wrong, but really, it was just him trying to spread. His I love Socratic view. dialogue, but I also recognize that the difference between Socratic dialogue and sophistry is basically very hard to distinguish. Besides, from the <laughs> inside, yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, but I feel like we've we've hit a good wind down point. Um, yeah, give me your give me your closing thoughts and and tell people about your show and why they should uh, listen to you. Sure, I guess my closing thoughts on our topic are: if people want to be religious, that's fine. I I tend to personally think that uh, religious based 
um, ethics or beliefs have uh, difficulties because I ultimately am an atheist and think that religion is not true. And so even a well-meaning belief system that's based on something that I think is objectively false uh, runs the risks of collapse if it confronts challenges or realities. But that being very religious, very ethical people who I would never in a million billion years try to deprive of their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the same goes for social justice, right? I think that I would prefer that people do their social justice in a more secular fashion, but I'm also not going to condemn people who come to their social justice via a religious mindset or who do social justice because they find a transcendent meaning in it as long as they are continuing to make sure that they're doing it in a way that doesn't harm people. And so that's, that's all that really functionally matters to me. And I don't think a good case has been made that there's a large amount of social justice that's really doing massive harm to human beings with the way that it is currently being enacted. I think there are cases and it's unfortunate, um, but I think the functionally the dialogue about these issues hasn't changed since the civil rights issues in the sixties where people were always trying to highlight the worst cases and slowly social progress has ground on despite those objections. So I think we're still functionally in that same path just with some new terminology. Um, And then I guess I'll say for folks who want to hear me blather on more about lots of other (laughs) things, you can check me out at Embrace the Void, um, which is a podcast where I have on guests of the philosophical, political, and otherwise persuasion to try to cope with living in what is, if not the worst, then amongst the worst of all possible timelines that we are currently living in. Uh, and then for a more lighthearted romp, you can check me out over on Philosophers in Space, which is a show I do with Thomas Smith, where we uh, take a piece of science fiction and combine it with a piece of philosophy and slam them together to try to make them both accessible for people who like either of those things, hopefully. So check it out. Hell yeah. And links will be below. So yeah, but, mm. but uh, thank you for coming on, man. No problem. Thanks so much. It's been a fun chat. It's been hella fun.